Well, it is called Palm Sunday because uh, the events leading up to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ Jesus required him to enter the city. And we had a great discussion Wednesday night from Mark chapter 11 about what was going on with Jesus and his disciples. It is time for the Passover observance. And so Jerusalem, as was the case for one of these major festivals, uh, had uh, quite a population gathering. And lots of people traveling from outside the area around the region and coming into the city. And so lodging was uh, hard to be found. And so Jesus and his disciples seemed to be staying in Bethany a couple of miles away. And so they would go from Bethany, walk the two miles into the city each day. And then we have this event where the people welcome Jesus as they would welcome a conquering king. Shouting, Hosanna! Hosanna! Hosanna to him who comes in the name of the Lord. And so I told Stacy last week, I said, if you can work with the kiddos in children's church... And get them to say, Hosanna, Hosanna to the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And, or blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Stacy said, well, you know, we, we don't have a lot of like second and third graders. we got like a three, four, and five year olds. So if we could just get them to say, Hosanna, you know, that, that's, that's, that's pretty good. And I said, okay. And then one of them, because they were talking about it last week. And then one of them uh, said, you know, we're going to shout. Uh, we're going to wave our palm branches. We're going to go in like we're marching. And Stacy said, that's great. And then what are you going to say? And then he cocked his head and said, go Vols? <laughs> Not going to tell you whose kid that was. <laughs> but yes, go Vols is what was on his mind. Uh, I know that brings some of you joy. Uh, but... But yeah, they were welcoming Jesus as this conquering victor. And so this morning's bulletin article uh, is kind of a recap of what we talked about in our Wednesday night class. I didn't plan it that way. But Mark chapter 11 uh, is uh, the triumphal entry. And it is an event... Uh, there's only a handful of events that are covered in all four Gospels. And Jesus coming to Jerusalem as a king is one of those events in all four Gospel accounts. And so uh, the, the people are praising him. The people are joyous and jubilant. And of course the Jewish leaders are absolutely fuming. And then uh, the next day, uh, Jesus curses a fig tree and then he moves into the temple and then we have what is known as the temple cleansing where Jesus is so frustrated at the people being taken advantage of at the hands of the people in the temple. And so he turns over the tables of the money changers and the merchants who are taking advantage of the poor. 
And then this sets off a chain of events that happened that week leading up to... uh, Uh, leading up to, ultimately, the crucifixion of our Savior. Now, victory is something that is often noted in our culture. People talk about victory certainly in sports, but also in the political world. If you watch the news... They talk about a victory for a particular party, a victory for the president when certain legislation might be passed, or even a defeat if certain legislation or agendas fail. Victory is thought about in the business world because it is a competitive world. Even in the legal world, Trial trial lawyers know their track record of wins and losses, especially against a particular opposing counsel when they're preparing to go against them once again in trial. And so this seemed like a victory for Jesus. His closest followers, the twelve, In John's Gospel, we see that they warn him not to go back to Jerusalem. As if to say, are you kidding me? You're going to go back? Come on, boss. You know that they are wanting you dead. They they are going to try to kill you. And Jesus very clearly says, this is what I have to do. And so then there's this moment where Jesus comes in on this colt of the donkey and the people are jubilant and joyous. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And it is this moment where it seems like a victory for Jesus. And then later in that week on Thursday is when they gather in the upper room And when they gather in the upper room, it is for the express purpose of celebrating the Passover together. What we often refer to in Christianity as the Last Supper. And then we have, that kicks off the events that that really start to, start to, to happen more quickly. John's Gospel gives us a lot of detail is what was going on in those final days. We know that as they gathered in the upper room for that Passover observance, Jesus takes the time to wash their feet in this moment of humility, in this act of service, and then challenges them and challenges us, church, by saying that, you know, uh, what I've done for you is an example. Now you do this to others. And he's saying, just as I've served you, you serve others. And he showed us that even as the Son of God, that he was not too good to take on a lowly task. It reminds us that none of us is too good for anything. And then they observe the Passover meal. And yes, when washing those feet, Jesus even washed the feet of the one that was going to betray him. And so Judas leaves at some point during the evening. 
And Jesus enters into this conversation with his disciples where he promises the Holy Spirit something that had to happen because Jesus knows that if he stays in the flesh that the sins of humanity are not atoned for. If Jesus remains with us then we're only going to experience Jesus if we're present physically with Jesus. But that the Holy Spirit is such a game changer in that post-resurrection, the Holy Spirit will dwell within us upon our baptism into Christ. And that we will have a part of God with us, inside of us, as we become children of God. And what an important thing that is. And so that's why in John's Gospel you see that Jesus takes roughly about three chapters in talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And finally he gets to chapter 16 and he kind of says, my paraphrase, I've been speaking figuratively here, but now I'm just going to speak directly to you. And so it, it kind of draws to a conclusion this, se- this section of Scripture that gives us insight into what was discussed in that upper room. And then before they depart from that room, Jesus has this lengthy prayer that's captured in John 17. And then they leave from that place. They cross what's known as the Kidron Valley. And then they, they go to the Mount of Olives. And this is where Jesus takes with him Peter, James, and John and tells them to stay awake. And we know from reading the Gospels in the past that they don't stay awake. And he comes and checks on them and he's disappointed that they're not keeping watch. They've fallen asleep. And he challenges them and says that the spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. And, you know, it challenges them to stay awake and keep watch. And then we read the events that happen in John 18. And so I invite you to turn with me to John 18, uh, beginning with verse 1. When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. (coughs) Excuse me. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with him. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again he asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. 
Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Notice that when he says, I am he, that their reaction is to, to fall back, to fall down. It's nothing more church family than the power of God standing right in front of them and their reaction he's standing there an unarmed man they've got torches they've got lanterns they've got weapons and yet they're the ones who fall back because they have come face to face in that moment with the power of God What an amazing moment that is. Only captured in John's Gospel. And so we have this moment where Peter, being bold as Peter often is, is the one who pulls out the sword and cuts off the ear of the high priest's servant. And Jesus doesn't hesitate to set him straight. This is a good old-fashioned rebuke right here. As if to say, what are you thinking? Have you not learned anything these past three years? This is not what we're about. This isn't that kind of kingdom. And Jesus then doesn't hesitate to make that servant whole again. To pick up that ear and to put it back. To heal him on the spot. And what it must have been like in those wee hours of the morning, in the darkness of night, this group of people, this mob that has come and arrested Jesus. But in this moment, Jesus makes it very clear, hey, you're here for me, then take me, leave the rest of these alone. He's going to drink the cup himself. He's going to take the fall. He's going to be the sacrifice for all of humanity. But correcting Peter and saying, Don't you know that I have to do this? And so they take him to the high priest and then ultimately they take him to Pilate. And so we skip down in in John 18 uh, to verse 33. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. 
You were asking then, or you are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. With this he went out again to the Jews, gathered there, and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, No, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. And so we see there the insight that John gives us into this conversation between Jesus and Pilate. And then we move down a little further and we look at John 19 beginning with verse 4. Once more Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jewish leaders insisted, We have a law, and according to that law, he must die, because he claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? he asked Jesus, but Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said. Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. Now, I want us to look at that in detail. Did you notice, church, the number of times that Pilate pronounces Jesus innocent? There are at least three times there that he goes out, looks at the Jewish leaders and says, I find no basis for a charge against this man. Church family, this should confirm to us someone who we might say had no dog in this fight. He himself was not a Jew. Best we could tell, he wasn't a religious person. He was a Roman. And so Pilate is saying over and over again, Why in the world are you wanting this man dead? I find absolutely no basis with which to charge him with any sort of crime, let alone a crime that deserves death. Moving down to John 19, beginning with verse 16. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them, 
to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus carrying his own cross. He went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. John, unlike Matthew, Mark, and Luke, doesn't give as much graphic detail of the act of the crucifixion itself. But we move down further to John 19, verse 25. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now church, the title of today's message is Surrendering to Victory. Because I hope you see that that's what Jesus did in this moment. They don't take his life from him. Jesus is willing to lay down his life. The power of God is present. We saw that when they came to arrest him. We saw that in the moment that they fell back just with him standing there saying, I am He. Jesus had the power to take them all out. But Jesus shows us that's not what love does. Love is about sacrifice. And so Jesus is willing to be the atoning sacrifice for all of humanity as Scotty mentioned earlier when we sang in Christ alone and I agree with him because I remember first hearing that song at an event called Celebration in Western Kentucky some years ago and uh, some of our teens from here have gone to that event a few times and I first heard that song I think the year was like maybe 2008 or something like that and I thought I've never heard something set to music that so beautifully captures the fullness of what Jesus did for us. Fullness of God in helpless babe. And then everything being satisfied when He gave His life on that cross. Because it was about surrendering to gain the victory. I came across a video in the last couple of weeks. And I thought it would go well with what we're talking about today. It's actually 
from uh, the CBS Evening News. And they did a news story about a high school wrestler in upstate New York. Uh, Someone who was engaged in a wrestling match and did something that was entirely unexpected. Prince Lombardi famously said, winning isn't everything, it's the only thing. He never met Merrick Bush, but Steve Hartman did on the road. As a state champion wrestler, Merrick Bush has very few real competitors. But the sophomore from Central Valley Academy near Utica, New York, does have at least one rival, a junior from Indian River named Logan Patterson. Merrick met him on the mat earlier this month. I practiced hard that entire week, and I wanted to beat him. Terry Kavanaugh was the referee. I've been in sports a long time, and I've never seen anything like it. As expected, it was a great match. Until, with just about 30 seconds left, Logan twisted his elbow. Up to that point, Merrick had been losing. But Logan's arm was now so badly injured, there was almost no way Merrick couldn't win. So he told his coach, I got this, and went back in to do what he says he had to do. That's Merrick in the blue. Again, all he had to do was stand up and pin his hobbled opponent. But instead, Merrick did nothing. He just told Logan he was sorry about his arm and surrendered. Logan couldn't believe it. He just sat there. He didn't move. You think it was goodness out of his heart. He's a great person. I know it makes me look kind of like a weakling, but... No. That's all right. No, it doesn't. No, he's no weakling at all. I mean, state championships come and go, but that, you can't take that away from a kid. The crowd watched on their feet and through blurry eyes as Merrick lost the tournament but won the admiration of everyone in the gym. Most especially, Bob. Yeah. His dad. Yep. Bob. I'm very proud. It's not about winning all the time, it's about doing what's right. And he did. More importantly, Merrick thought doing the right thing would make him look like a weakling. But he did it anyway. Now that's a powerful kid. Steve Hartman, on the road, near Utica, New York. You see in this example that you've got somebody who has a chance at an easy win. A hobbled opponent, as he was known. Lindsay, can you advance that next slide? And no, I'm not comparing a high school kid named Merrick to the sacrifice that Jesus made. But it shows us that someone who said, you know, they're going to think I'm weak, but I'm not going to worry about that. Jesus on that cross... While those Romans mocked him and said, if you can save yourself, then come on down from there. And we know he could have. Like that hymn says, 
he could have called 10,000 angels. But he didn't do that, did he, church? He said, no. I don't care how weak you think I am. I'm going to surrender to gain the victory. And I know that there were people that had to be dismayed because just days before, they had seen him enter Jerusalem being greeted as a king. And what looked like victory for Jesus turns out to be victory in Jesus. Because Jesus had enough humility to embrace the cross. A Roman torture device that was reserved for the most vile of offenders. But Jesus bore the shame for all of us. All of us, church. Let's never, ever lose sight of that. Let's always remember what Jesus did for us. And next week we get to come back and we get to celebrate what happens next. And praise God for all of it. If you're with us this morning and you have not yet put on Christ in baptism, let today be the day. Let today be the day that you say, yes, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That I appreciate the sacrifice that He made for me. And enter that watery grave and die to the old self. We sing the song of invitation for just that reason. If you can use the prayers of brothers and sisters in Christ, the invitation is for that reason as well. Let's stand together and sing.